Welcome back, everybody. We're speaking with my friend, Steve Bernstein. He's a Peabody and multi-Emmy winner. Uh, he spent years behind the camera and in front of the camera. But I bet when we're done with this interview, you're going to love him for his heart and not just for his achievements. Welcome to the show, Steve. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you, Alan. I've been looking forward to chatting with you and uh, hopefully sharing some insights with each other. I hope so, too. I, I say it should be a fun discussion. I only have a couple of pages of notes and questions, so <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get uh, through them. But um, let's, let's give a bit of a background, our backstory, right? The actor backstory. Uh, you and I met for the first time at Blue Door Collective, which is a, a really nice uh, place in Chicago that uh, does a lot of uh, acting training. Uh, we'll post a link to it uh, uh, beneath this video. And uh, we were taking a workshop with uh, Kathy Ranking, uh, yep. uh, was supposed to be on the program yesterday, but uh, she had some uh, uh, some difficulties in where we're scheduling, so she'll be on shortly. So we had that workshop, and uh, you know, I didn't know about you. I, I saw you acting because uh, we saw the little demos that we created for the uh, for the workshop. But I really took a notice uh, when you started talking about your uh, your love, uh, Verna, and the way that you were speaking and the amount of heart and uh, just genuine capacity uh, within that, that's what really made me take notice. And mm -hmm. since then, I think it's been at least a year plus, and um, I've gotten to know you a lot better, and I still have that same feeling, that anytime I think of Steve Bernstein, I think right here, I think hard. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, let's, uh, let's talk about Twist of Fate. Right, you've had a few uh, in your lifetime. Uh, if I if I know uh, or if my research is correct on you, you've done some acting uh, in college, but you wanted to um, pursue a career um, not in acting. You wanted to pursue a career as a TV reporter, as an anchorman, um, and then something happened. How did you end up actually behind the camera instead of in front? Oh wow. Um... For a couple of years, backing up, I went to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale in Saluki. So many years ago, I was there actually in the late 70s. And at that time, the, uh, the teachers were all retired professionals from the industry. Okay. So they came at it not from a, uh, a teaching point of view, but more from a professional point of view. And on campus, we had a... Um, uh, VHF TV station, uh, which was a PBS affiliate, and we had an NPR radio station. Mm -hmm. And the students were in charge of putting on three television newscasts a day, morning, noon, and night, and about a dozen or so radio newscasts throughout the day. And for a couple of years, I was all in. I was doing as much radio and TV as an anchor and reporter as I could. And after my junior year of college, uh, I was kind of burned out a little bit because I put so much time into it. So I stayed in Carbondale <laughs> and I worked full time at a laundromat. Okay. Where, uh, people would drop off their laundry and I would get change and I would actually do their laundry. And trust me, you have not done laundry until you've done farmer's laundry for them. Um, and I also took a full load of classes during that summer. So I thought that when the fall semester would begin, my schedule would be so free that I would have very few classes and I would jump back into the TV and radio stuff. 
Mm -hmm. And I went back in and every semester you had to audition. And this was the first time I sat at the anchor desk and really wasn't the least bit nervous. This, this was my home. This is what I knew and did. Yeah. And I did what I thought was <laughs> my most solid audition ever. And a couple of days later, the uh, roster came out. And out of 15 newscasts on TV for the week, I got zero. And the radio programming came out and probably a, a hundred or more slots during the week. And I was given one Saturday night at 1030. AM or PM? Oh, and the PM night. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, this is really odd. There has to be some mistake. Yeah. So I went into the uh, uh, student news director's office and uh, he eventually became a well-known anchor in Indianapolis. And I asked him, what did I do? Is it just me? And he said, come with me. And we went up to the department head's office who oversaw all of our adventures. And they sat down and explained to me that more or less I was being punished because I had a bad attitude. And I thought they were joking. I said, oh, I laughed. I said, well, that's a given. What else you got? And I realized I was the only one in the room laughing. They were like, no, because you know, you were here all summer and you know we're short staffed during the summer and you didn't come over and help out. Oh boy. I said, wait, wait, wait. I was working a full-time 40 hour a week job. I was taking a full load of classes for a couple of months so that when fall came, blah, blah, blah. And they said, yeah, but if you had really wanted to be here, you'd have been here. I said, so let me see if I understand this correctly. If I had gone home to the Chicago area and fallen asleep drunk on the beach like so many of my other classmates, I would have a five o'clock TV slot right now. And they said, well, no, don't, don't look at it like that. You know, uh, you know, just lay low and maybe you could do some fill-ins and then maybe second semester. And I was like, you know, I, I have a real firm rooting in uh, a need for a sense of fair and right and wrong. And this was just wrong and it wasn't fair. And I walked away and said, well, I guess I don't do that anymore, do I? Wow, okay. The guys behind the camera, they seem like they have a lot of fun, a lot more relaxed than those of us with big egos out in front. Let's see what that's about. And I threw myself into that and eventually got the position as the student chief photographer and uh, EMG supervisor, electronic news gathering. And I was like, okay, I guess this is my new path. Interesting. And then, yeah. and then from there, so you had that uh, switch, um, which I, I actually want to dive into a little more later. So you had that switch and then you graduated from college and um, that's how you got your first job uh, behind the camera? Uh, yeah, I actually went on a few, a uh, few, uh, interviews um, and wound up catching on with uh, the CBS affiliate in the 74th television market. So it actually covered parts of Southern Illinois. It was a really interesting market because mm -hmm. the CBS affiliate was in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Okay. The ABC affiliate was in Harrisburg, Illinois. And the NBC affiliate was in Paducah, Kentucky. So the ABC station at that time was 
uh, let's say rather lacking in the news department. Okay. Well, their ratings were terrible. So both the CBS affiliate and the NBC affiliate covered their own states, but then they also had bureaus to cover Southern Illinois because CBS would win Missouri, NBC would win Kentucky, whoever won Southern Illinois would win the market. Uh, so I worked out of the Southern Illinois Bureau for the CBS affiliate in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where I was a cameraman director in the field every day and then did a little bit of reporting and anchoring as well and was a complete one-man band at times. So you're going out, I'd have the camera on my shoulder interviewing you and I would lean my head off to the side so you weren't looking in the camera and I would hold the microphone out in front of me and write the stories, edit them, uh, put them on and uh, it was a really good place to go and make mistakes and learn from them hopefully. Um, it was it was a really fun, very almost naive time I guess, you know, when big stories were things like who do you think shot JR? And, for anyone under the age of 45, you might want to go look that one up. Interesting. And how long did you end up doing that before you moved on? Um, again, feel free to stop me because my stories tend to ramble and go on. No, no, I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm all ears. Um, I was there and at my two-year anniversary, when I started there, mm -hmm. was making $9,800 a year. And I was out of college. I had never had that much money in my pocket. I was, I was living large. At the end of the second year of working there, I believe I was up to about, about right around 11, eight, 12,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. And the news director came to spend the day with me and then give me my performance review. So he came up from Cape Girardeau and, you know, I put on a little show and did my thing all by myself. And, we talked about it, and at lunch, God, I can still picture it. He, um, we were chatting, and he was giving me my performance review, and everything was really lovely, very complimentary, and very nice man. And he said, well, that's about it. I said, oh, you know what? It's the two-year anniversary. I'm still a kid, but what do I know? I said, oh, well, what about some more money? And he goes, oh, you're already making whatever it is, 12 a year. I, I can't go more than that. And he actually took out a calculator at, at the lunch table and he's punching in numbers and he's like, oh, boy, I just can't duck. I just can't see it. I actually took the calculator from him, turned it around, took 15,000 and divided it by 52. And I still remember that it's 288. And I turned it back to him and I said, I think that's what I should be getting. And he looked at it and he looked at me and goes, what, you'd be rich. I said, no, I won't be rich, I'll be getting by. And after a couple of years, I shouldn't just be getting by. And he said, you know what, I, I can't come anywhere near that. I said, well, what you're telling me then is, I thought I'd force his hand a little bit. I said, what you're telling me then is, I need to leave. And his response was something to the effect of, boy, we sure will hate to see you go. I was like, no, shoot, Over, overplayed that hand. Okay. So I spent about, six months sending out audition tapes and resumes and chasing after people. And I was coming in second for a lot of jobs all over the country. And in one week I got two offers, but let me back up for a sec because one of them involves one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. 
Excellent. Let's dive into that. All right. Um, there were the before I took the job in this bureau, they actually had two students from Southern doing the job. One would work in the morning as a camera person, director, and one would come and take over in the afternoon. They would do classes and switch. They said, you know, that's crazy. It just doesn't work because mm -hmm. we don't know a story is going to end by noon or one. So <laughs> let's get somebody in full time. So I had just graduated. I got the job. So one of the fellas that had been doing it part time had moved on to this brand new upstart in uh, Dallas, uh, the office there, and it was called Cable News Network. And back in those days, nobody had cable and who's gonna watch news 24 hours a day? That's just crazy. Yeah. But all right, yeah, he caught on, he got a big job. He's probably just gonna use it as a springboard to something better. Okay, whatever. And I had been trying for jobs all over the place and just nothing was clicking. So after um, I had heard through the grapevine, because there was no social media back then, I had heard through the grapevine that he had moved on from CNN in the Dallas office and gotten a job at the NBC affiliate in Dallas. Mm -hmm. This is perfect. It's great. I, I know him. We literally went to school together. We did the exact same job at the station. I just did it full time while he was part time. So I got the number to the CNN bureau in Dallas and I called up and I talked to the news director and I went on about a three minute monologue about here's how I know Tom and we went to school and we have the same track and blah, blah, blah. And now that he's leaving you, I thought his position might be open. Oh my to, which said, to which she said, oh, I didn't know Tom was leaving us. And I went, oh my God. Oh, please forget I ever called. You never heard my name. I don't exist. Obviously, I'm talking out of my backside. Just forget it. And we got off the phone. And a couple of days later, she called back. And she said, uh, you know what? Apparently, uh, he did get a new job. But they were, they so disliked each other that I just ruined his surprise. He was just not going to show up on Monday morning to the CNN. And when they tried to chase him down, he just wouldn't be there. So I ruined his surprise, but it was just one of those moments where you're going, oh, I can't believe I just said that. Oh, listen, you, you broke the news. What better way to get a job <laughs> at a news, uh, news station by breaking the news to them? Exactly. But anyway, so uh, at that same time, I got a job offer from the ABC affiliate in Omaha. Okay. And the CNN in Chicago at that point, it was, CNN was probably just under a year old at that point, something like that. Um, so it was even still, it was like, well, who knows what CNN is, if it'll even be around. But you know what? getting into the market in Chicago, that's gotta be a good way to ingratiate yourself to the real stations. Yeah. And, um, but Omaha said, we'd love to fly you up here so we can meet you and you can meet us. I thought, I'd like to be flown somewhere, sure. Yeah. So I got on a little puddle jumper out of uh, Carbondale and flew to St. Louis and caught a connecting flight up to Omaha and spent a couple of days up there getting to know them. And I would have actually been strictly the sports cameraman in the field for this station. 
And really the only thing they have to do there besides local softball is the University of Nebraska football. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it doesn't sound terribly exciting, but you know what? It's a union shop. And I'm looking at the union contract. And after a couple of years of being professional, I believe it was calling for something like something like 22,000, something like that a year and going from 12 to where I can't get 15 for my cut station. Yeah. Going to 22 was really exciting. Yeah. Even though it wasn't going to be necessarily the job I wanted. Whereas CNN was offering, you had to work a 50 hour week and it came out to about 18,000. And we sat down at the end of my couple of days in Omaha to talk to the news director and he liked me and I liked them and I, everything's great. And he goes, yeah, so we bring you in at the beginner starting level on the contract. So that would be about 18,000. I said, wait, 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 I don't understand. I, I've got, besides a year in college, well, yeah, yeah. if we throw that out, I've got two years of professional experience. And he looked in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. He goes, that, that's, that's apples and oranges. I said, Cape Girardeau is market 74. Omaha is 69. That's not even different species of apples. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. And again, my need for fairness kicked in. I was like, you know what? Never mind. I, that's just an unfair, inappropriate, wrong way to handle this situation. Yeah. So, no, I'm good. So I took the offer from CNN in Chicago, figuring it may not be the job of a lifetime, but the Chicago area was my original home. Family is still there. It may not be the job of a lifetime, but it will springboard me to what I really want to have mm-hmm. going forward. The interesting thing was those in those days, as I understood it, Ted Turner had a passionate dislike for unions. So the way to avoid having his crew members be unionized was I didn't technically work for CNN. There was a subcontractor that actually owned a tow truck company in New York that I swear to God that got the contract <laughs> to provide the news crews in New York and Chicago. And I forgot, I think one of the other bureaus because what happened was there used to be overnight crews in all the major cities looking for fires and crashes and things like that. Well, stations started cutting back and they just hired stringers. You know, yeah. if you're driving by, you see a fire, get some footage, we'll give you a hundred dollars, whatever it was. Yeah. And um, so this tow truck company in New York said, you know what, our guys, our drivers see all this stuff because they're allowed through, they have to get the car out of the crash or whatever it is. Yeah. And so he started sending video cameras along with his tow truck drivers. And from that grew into a company that provided crews in the early days of CNN. So I was working for him and then he would mark up my salary and charge CNN, but at least that way it avoided a, a union situation. Well, um, that's a very interesting thing. And again, just from, from acting perspective, uh, since you know, this, this is a show about acting in the industry, yeah. um, there are many ways to, uh, to get in. There are many ways to do things. And, <coughs> excuse me. Um, in Russian, uh, there is a saying that if somebody is talking and then they sneeze, that person is telling the truth. So I am being truthful right now. Um, 
there are many ways to get in. Look at the brilliance of the uh, of the uh, you know person who ran those uh, tow truck companies. He oh, saw exactly. an opportunity. He got into it. It wasn't his original market, but he got into it, and it was a way in, and it probably uh, maybe made him even more money than uh, than he did uh, just from uh, towing. Um, he being the mother of invention, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, uh, actors out there, please look out. You never know what uh, you're going to get into. Please always be open for the opportunities. And, and, and for God's sake, be nice to people. Yeah. People not, I was behind the camera for over 30 years. And I, even though most, almost all those years, probably 27 of them, mm -hmm. I was a freelancer with my own production company. In those 27 years, I never once advertised or marketed because it was all word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And every show that's on television, every, every company, at some point that show is going to go off the air. It might be in a week, it might be in 20 years. Mm -hmm. But when it goes off the air, the people who are good that were on the staff are going to scatter and catch on somewhere new. Yeah. And if you're a nice person, and you can do the work and you're pleasant to work with, they will take your name along. And that's very much the same in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to spend the day with an idiot if they can possibly avoid it. Yeah, absolutely true. And we'll, uh, we'll jump back in that in, uh, in a few minutes as well, talking about kind of the networking aspect. Um, so let's catch people up uh, in terms of the behind the camera part. So you've worked for CNN. Then, uh, you know, let's, let's get to a place where you got your Peabody and the Emmys. So how did that? Um, well, after being at CNN for just under a year and a half, mm -hmm. uh, myself and the, one of the other crew members that was there, we split off and we started our own freelance production company. Mm -hmm. And this was in the time before there were no such thing as freelancers back then. Yeah. Uh, so it was you very had to have, You had to have a towing company in order to get in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we weren't doing the overnight crashes for $100. We started catching on with real shows. We were working for pretty much every unscripted show out there somewhere. Eventually, we took on a third partner, changed the name of the company, we were right on the verge of really getting big, big. We were doing really well mm -hmm. um, when the original partner decided to dump the two of us because he had something better coming that he didn't want to share. But while we were still together, we had caught on with PBS, mm -hmm. with what used to be the McNeil Laird News Hour. Yeah. And now then it became the News Hour with Jim Laird. Now I believe it's just the PBS News Hour. Mm -hmm. But uh, I traveled all over the U.S. as well as internationally for the news hour. And actually, it was just one of the stories that they had shot somewhere else, but brought back to Chicago and asked me to edit. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not a huge fan of editing other people's work in those days because my standards, I thought, were pretty high. Mm -hmm. But what they shot was okay. It was a, it was a well-told story and about a year later we got a phone call and they said oh by the way do you remember that story that you did about a year ago and I said yeah it sounds vaguely familiar they said did we ever tell you that that won a national Emmy it's like hmm you know I don't believe that has come up in conversation what do you mean we won an Emmy what do you so uh uh 
That was the were, first Emmy, right? That was the first Emmy. Okay. Uh, um, God, you know, and the, the funny thing is, that one was really special. It was just a neat little pat on the back to go, you know what, you kind of belong here. And boy, I'm not even sure how to say it, but the ones that came after, I kind of went, okay, because I figured this is what I'm going to be doing forever. Yeah. And the thing is, because you're a freelancer, you had you almost never knew anything about how projects were received. Yeah. You know, if a company, if the same show or company called you again in the future, you figured I must have done something right because yeah. you're literally only as good as your last project. Um, so eventually, I did hear a couple more. Another one for uh, PPS got one. Um, the uh, there was one for Univision that was actually really interesting about violence in the high schools. Hmm. Um, the Peabody actually was an interesting story. Uh, the, in 1992, uh, it was the first time that what seemed like an oxymoron to most people, which was MTV News, um, came into existence. And they tried, they created what they, that was the first inception of their rock the vote, choose or lose campaign. Mm -hmm. in, in the whole idea being we want to invigorate young people to get involved in the political process. Yeah. And so that summer before the night, the election in November of 92, which was going to be Bill Clinton against uh, sitting President George H.W. Bush mm -hmm. and Ross Perot is the independent. Um, Clinton had been openly courting the young people on MTV. He was out there playing the saxophone, wearing sunglasses and coming across as this really cool, relatively hip, relatively young, by comparison, politician. Yeah. And he was really connecting. And I guess MTV had reached out to President Bush on multiple occasions. And I was always told, I don't know if it's true, I was always told that he kind of felt like MTV would be beneath the dignity of the, of the office or some such thing. And I, I hope I'm not misquoting that. But anyway, yeah. um, the about two weeks before the election, I guess the White House's internal polling showed them that they were going to lose. So at this point, they thought, you know what, we'll throw a Hail Mary, kind of a last ditch attempt. And he decided he would go on MTV to talk to the young people. Mm -hmm. And so they called me up and they said, all right, in a week, we, we need you. And we need, it was about, about an eight person crew that I needed to bring. And they wanted backups for every piece of equipment. So God forbid, and we're going to do this. And we're going to be, he's going to be rolling through Wisconsin. Uh, I believe it was Truman's old train uh, doing stump speeches off the back of the train. Yeah. And I was like, that actually sounds pretty cool. Okay. And they yeah. said, yeah, so we'll do this and this, and you'll have, you know, this much lighting. And, da, da, da. and I said, you know, I'll be honest with you at this point, I have never done, uh, an interview on the back of a moving train car. Do they have um, stable sources of electricity? And they're like, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We don't know. It's like, all right, you know, everything, you can plan everything, and whether you're in front of the camera or behind, yeah. almost nothing is ever going to happen like you planned it. So you've got to be flexible. So I gathered up all the gear. Oh, and I, along the way, I said, you know, I know you guys have your plan and I'm really not trying to talk down to anybody. I said, I don't know if you've dealt with the White House before or the Secret Service. I said, I have. 
you don't tell them what you're going to do. You ask them and then they'll tell you what they'll let you do. And they're like, ah, no, no, this is big. We're, we're, we're going to take care of them. I was like, all right, if you say so, sure. So we went up to Wisconsin and we got on the back of the uh, moving train and you know, they had flown in um, Tabitha Soren to do the interview with then President Bush. Mm-hmm. And the director, the news director, if there is such a thing of MTV News, came in to be the field director and the executive producer of MTV News came in to be our field producer. And myself, my sound man, we had all kinds of crew people. And at this point, it's the Saturday before the Tuesday election. So there is no news. Everything that's ever going to be said about the upcoming election has been said already. But the fact that the president is going to go on MTV, that's going to be the news for every other network out there. So the folks from MTV came in with, how to say it nicely, a very inflated version of their own importance. And I'm just there to do a job. And the reality is I've I've shot with six of the last seven presidents. And movie stars, rock stars, athletes, everybody. And the reality is they're just people. And if I'm gonna share an interview with the president, it's literally the same as if I interview anybody else, I'm going to try to do a good job going to try to capture the story because when people watch this later I want them to have a feel for what it was like to be talking to this individual whoever it is mm-hmm. so we're walking we're, we're told all right it's your turn so we're, we're carrying all the equipment we're going through the train cars I get to the last train car and a rather large secret service agent put his hand on my chest looked at this line of people behind me and said what the hell is all this I went, well, camera, audio, reporter, and I don't know. It's like, all right, you, you, and you, everybody else get out of here. They're like, no, I have to be there. If I'm not there, he's not going to know. And he's like, no, it's literally, they decided not to do it inside the train car. He wanted to be on the back as it rolled through the countryside. So it's a little platform on the back of a rolling train. Yeah. It happened to have a large podium in the middle from which he could make speeches. So I have a wide angle lens, but it's a small platform. And the director who came in from MTV has decided the only thing I want is a two shot. Keep the reporter and the president in the shot together. And I'm thinking, well, that's how you establish it, but you don't stay on that shot. It's going to be really boring. Eventually you kind of walk gently in and get a single of the president. And when you kind of hear he's wrapping up after a question or two, you gently come back out. Maybe at some point you'll get her question, but you, you gently move it around. No, 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 I want a two shot. Well, to get a two shot on a really small train platform with a podium in the middle, I backed myself up all the way into the corner and they would not let my sound man put a microphone on the president. So he is, he is kneeling between me and President Bush and I have to now lean back as far as I can over the railing of this moving train so that I can get back far enough to get both of them in the same shot. You mean you mean you didn't bring any kind of straps to strap yourself in so you're not actually falling off the moving no. train? Who knew? I had no idea that, that was it. Even if I had, they wouldn't have been time to go oh something up. They're like, all right, go, do it. You've got 12 minutes. 
So I moved back as far as literally my sound man is kneeling between me and the president, holding, yeah. they wouldn't let him put a mic on the president. So he's holding a shotgun mic on a boom pole. Yeah. And he says, you know what? You're on a train, you're hearing the chooka 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 chooka. He goes, I've got to get the mic like almost right up here to him yeah. to hear him cleanly. It's going to be right in the middle of the shot. I said, do whatever you have to do. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can, but it is what it is. Yeah. So he's kneeling, he's got the boom pole and the shotgun mic up like this. He's up, reaching up like this. He's literally holding me by my belt to keep me from falling off the train. And we interview the president. And I'll always remember the very first question she asked him was, we checked with the IRS and they say you and Barbara, and I'm thinking you and Barbara? When did you become their best friend? How about you and Mrs. Bush, you and the first mm -hmm. lady? No. You and Barbara made one point whatever million dollars last year, but only paid X amount in taxes. And he's holding out of the rail up above him. He's sipping a cup of coffee. He was the, used to be the head of the CIA. He's now president. You're not going to stump him with a tough question. She goes, why did you only pay that much in taxes? I said, did you check how much we gave away to charity? She said, I'm sorry, what? I was like, oh, God, I'm so getting audited. <sighs> um, and it just went on like that. And it, it goes on and on and on. Suffice it to say that after it aired, and the whole point being that this long rambling story is the whole choose or lose campaign won the Peabody Award that year because it really was a significant thing to bring that many young people into the political process. But uh, the, job, the job we have to do when we were in the field, and it's really not that way anymore, but the job we have to do was just to tell the story in front of the camera, behind the camera, doesn't matter. I'm here with the president. He's got something to say. We need to tell you the story because you weren't there. She was so clearly out to get him with her line of questioning that I was truly embarrassed to be a part of it. And I actually, years later, wrote him a letter of apology on behalf of me and the audio guy. And I, I didn't vote for him. I, yeah. I, Clinton would be a better choice. But you don't deal with the sitting president yeah. like that. You know, that there's a right way and a wrong way again to do everything. And um, yeah. I remember taking the finished product that I TV, and I went into my daughter's, I want to say fifth grade class where they were studying uh, bias and editing in the media and brought in the camera and all the kids love seeing the TV camera and seeing themselves up on the screen. And then I played for them the whole 12 minute interview that aired because they used the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And they went directly from that. And they said, we now rejoin once again, Governor Clinton on the bus tour, wherever he was in the country. Mm -hmm. And after trying so hard to, to nail President Bush, the very first question as we went then to Governor Clinton was, what would you say has been a highlight of the campaign so far? And I would pause the tape right at that point and look at the kids or fourth or fifth graders. I said, who do you think she's voting for? And they all said, well, whoever the second guy is, it looks like she really likes him. I said, now the question is, should you be able to tell? They're like, well, no, I thought journalists were supposed to be fair. Yeah. Like, well, there you go. But that, uh, that whole campaign won a Peabody, so there you go. 
No, and it deserves it uh, because what you had to go through that that alone deserves it. Um, now the the remaining question from there is: Did you get audited uh, right after? <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't making enough money to really have anybody care about auditing me, and um, eventually I got the president's post office box in Kennebunkport, Maine, from doing an interview with Digger Phelps, who used to be the basketball coach at Notre Dame, and they were good friends. And I wrote to the president a couple of years before he passed. I never did hear back, but I just felt like I didn't need to hear back. I just needed it to be said that, you know what, that wasn't fair. And you didn't, obviously, you didn't care. It's just MTV. But you know what, I needed to clear my conscience to say, you know what, that was the wrong way to do that. It's, it's, again, like I said, it's, it's that heart and the uh, sense of fairness. Um, I appreciate that. Um, last thing before we move on to, uh, to another twist of fate. Uh, but in seeing so many people from behind the camera, in yeah. seeing uh, celebrities, in seeing actors, in seeing, uh, uh, in seeing presidents, in seeing, you know, um, athletes, in seeing everybody else, what were some of the takeaways that you took that now are helping you being in front of the camera as an actor? Um, I'm not trying to how to explain it. Um, I guess how to be alive and be genuine in front of the camera. Um, in 1984, uh, I was part of the National Traveling Press Corps for a couple of weeks. Uh, Jesse Jackson was running for president. We traveled with him for a while for PBS. And then we also joined up with uh, Walter Mondale. And we would fly to the small airports. The whole traveling press corps would jump off. We'd set up in a little airport somewhere. The candidate would make a speech. The local media would be there too. We'd jump back on the plane, fly to the next place. And after a couple of days, and whether you agreed with him politically or not, Walter Mondale was a really smart guy. And I'd be looking at him in this little airport in somewhere in mountains in Pennsylvania or whatever, and I'd be going, you know, I wish I were smart enough to know what he's saying is a good idea or not, but he's obviously a really bright guy. And then I would look down through the viewfinder of the camera and go, but he can't possibly win against Reagan because somewhere between there and there, it all gets lost. And then when I covered Reagan and you just saw this life in his eyes and this joy at being wherever he was, that that always stayed with me, that whether you're in front of the camera or behind, you need, people need to know that you're glad to be there. And even if it's something sad and difficult, you, you can't mail it in, you can't just phone it in. Um, you've gotta be present. And you might not, you might think, oh, I can fake my way through this, but the audience will tell if you're alive, if your eyes are alive or dead. Thank you. Um, that's very, very good to know. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, piggybacking to, uh, to Kathy for a second, Kathy Ranking, um, one of the things that uh, she's passionate about and we're going to cover in our interview is her sensing whether you're being authentic or not. Or seeing and zeroing in right away. Nope, nope, that's that's fake. That's not you. Let's chisel that away until we find the real you. 
So um, you're saying the, the same thing that you saw behind the camera. So it's, it's great to hear. Um, let's get to the next uh, twist of fate that brought you from behind the camera into in front of the camera. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, 2009 was an interesting year. Um, in uh, the end of June in 2009, uh, very unexpectedly, my second wife passed away. And it was just devastating. And because I was freelance, I could kind of pick and choose and take some time and kind of deal with the grief that came with that. And by the beginning of September, I was just starting to feel like, you know, I was coming back a little bit, being a bit more normal. And I had done a couple of shoots. Uh, uh, I was out there when uh, Oprah had they had blocked off Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and she did her 25th anniversary season kickoff show in the middle of downtown Chicago. And um, like the Black Eyed Peas were there, and they did a whole big uh, group dance out in, as a surprise. Um, I, I was there for, I think, Access Hollywood or something like that. And a few days later, we went out with NBC to go have Bob Costas interview Jay Cutler. And we sat there for a few hours, but Cutler wound up blowing us off. But the next day, I got up and uh, to and pick up a piece of equipment from a sound man because I had a shoot coming up uh, for MTV on that Monday. I want to say it was a show it was um, America's Best Dance Cruise, something like that. And I was just about to get onto the highway on my way to go meet him. And there actually was a little access road that crosses the on-ramp. So as I'm accelerating, somebody blew through the stop sign and hit me in the back of my van. So all I heard, because she didn't pull out in front of me, all I heard was that awful crunching sound. And then the feeling that the van was now falling because I was starting to roll over. And I had the window down. So because all of a sudden you feel like you're falling, your immediate instinct is to put your hand out. And at 30 miles an hour, whatever speed I was going, having a van rolling over on your hand turns out as a real negative. Um, so when the van finally stopped rolling, um, it stopped on the driver's side door. So I was kind of hanging there by my seatbelt. And the only thing I knew while I was waiting to be rescued was that my left hand was gone. It was kablooey. It was just a big pile of nothing. And I was just sitting there squeezing it as hard as I could to avoid bleeding out on the road. And the fire department and police came in very quickly and uh, cut me out. And thankfully, they didn't take me to the closest hospital it took me about a half an hour away to a level one trauma unit where there happened to be a, a world-class hand surgeon on call, Dr. Craig Phillips. And they brought him in and I genuinely believe he walked in and said, ooh, a puzzle. I wonder what I could do with this. Because when I kind of sort of came to, and a day or two later, one of my first hazy recollections was looking down at my left hand and saying, well, if my arm ends here at my wrist, I wonder why the bandages go out this far. And really, there's still something. No, there couldn't be anything left. 
and it had been a complete crush injury, a deep loving. Um, just everything was, and just like that, everything changed. Um, you know, I spent about 10 days in the hospital in nice, between ICU and regular care and came out of it and uh, tried to learn how to live basically one-handed for a year or so. But in the first three months, uh, I had three surgeries. And the third one was uh, removing the ring finger from my left hand because it was no longer viable. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm stubborn enough. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get back to where I used to be. I'll adapt. I'll figure something out. And over the first three years, I had six surgeries and somewhere between four and 500 hours of occupational therapy. And it kind of dawned on me eventually, you know what? I can't do it. I can't get behind the camera. I, with the camera up here, I just knew everything I needed to do without looking. And I just don't have enough dexterity, flexibility, mobility, sense of touch, whatever anymore. And I thought to myself, you know what? All right, so the, the DP work is done, but I'll just go back and direct. I really like that. I mean, I've directed A-listers. Uh, I like telling people what to do, sure. And so amazingly enough, in those three years that I had been away, the world had moved on. <laughs> they didn't wait for me. Um, and all of these shows and whatnot that I had been working for uh, now had people that they relied on that were at the top of the list, both behind the camera as well as directing and all that. And they said, well, we'll put your name on the list. We'd love to help you out. But so I, after a couple of years of realizing uh, it's not going to work. I'm, I'm not going to be able to make a career as a director, which is a real shame because I, I thought I was pretty good at it. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I tried to find a normal, so to speak, out of the business type job. And I would go in and if I could get a an interview, the people would look at my resume and go, this is a really interesting resume. I bet you've got great stories. But you know, you've never done this before. And I would say, well, that's true, but I did run my own company, which means I know inventory control, I know bookkeeping, I know client acquisition and client retention. Uh, I went through all that, and they were like, well, that's true, but you've never done this. And so I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a true statement. I've never done this. And it was getting very frustrating. And then with the explosion of production in Chicago, my beautiful wife, Verna, said, wouldn't it be fun to go out and be an extra on some of these shows? To which I said, oh, God, no. Oh, I spent my whole life in this world. I did the behind the scenes and DVD extras on movies. You don't want to be an extra. It's, it's below the bottom of the totem pole. You're underground on the totem pole. And she said, I still think it'd be a really fun, interesting experience. And she didn't know me before the accident. Mm. And uh, it's like, all right, sure, yeah, but give it a try. And you know, I tried doing extra work for about a year. And 
you know, getting, well, there's no nice way to say it, but, you know, getting yelled at by children with clipboards and whistles just really didn't do it for me. And I think the biggest thing was I used to walk into a room and it, whether it was a housewife or the president or somewhere in between or whatever, whoever it was, people would look and go, oh, Steve's here. All right, what are we doing? And now I'm standing there and my job literally is to walk 20 feet from here to there and I'm having somebody yell at me about how to do it correctly. And I'm thinking, you know, I like being on set. But this, is, this is comfortable to me, but I need to be a part of things. Mm-hmm. And Verna agreed and she said, you know what? Why don't we take acting classes? And I said, you know, I think I love the idea of acting. It's always been in my makeup way, way back. I did, I mean, college, I also did a kid's radio show, which was a blast. So it's always been there. I said, but I, I guess I don't want to waste time and money. And this is one of the foolish things I've done along the way where I said, you know what, rather you, you can go ahead and take classes. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to keep submitting myself as a volunteer to act in student films, independence, whatever I can get. And eventually when I get some footage back, I can be honest and I can look at that guy on screen and say, you know what, there's nothing there. You should go be a greeter at Walmart or something. Or I'll say, you know what, yeah, there's something there, go take classes. So I was about six months or so behind Verna in taking classes, but eventually I got a few small things in student films, got footage back and said, all right, there's something there. And once I got into classes, everything changed in terms of what I thought I knew, what I needed to do, what I thought I knew about being out in front of the camera, because I can direct anybody. I've directed Oprah, I've directed Bill Murray, Madonna, but I can't direct myself. Because I would get up in front of the class and go, you know what, I got this, I know what I'm doing. I'm nervous because I'm performing, but, and I would do it and just wonderful teachers like Robin Coffin and Holly Allen, and they go, that, that, that was good, but why did you do this? Or how about this? And they started making suggestions. And I was like, wow, that's so much better. How did I not see? All right, you know what? I got to learn to shut up and let go of who I used to be and what I think I bring to this and actually just try to learn something. And the whole taking classes thing is just, exploded in terms of give me more but what else you got i want to learn so it's been an amazing transformation because i used to walk on to and <laughs> it's been a learning process to let go of it but i would walk on to sets early in my acting life and i'd look around and go really you're putting the lighting there huh why well, wouldn't it? the camera setup is no come on and it's like you know what shut up nobody is bringing you out here because of what you used to do. None of, they don't even know you used to do it. You've got enough to do to try to figure out how to be this guy and tell his story out in front of the camera. So once I learned to try to let go of what I used to do and learn how to do this new thing, everything changed, and I think for the better. Well, it's, it's kind of relearning an identity because... Yeah. 
yeah, it's it's so ingrained in who you are and what you have done, and now you have to do a whole new thing. It's yeah, um, it's difficult enough overcoming uh, injuries, but it hits at the core of who you are, and <clears throat> picking yourself back up and doing it, and kind of going through uh, your life and just a few pieces that we've touched upon. I see that the ability to walk somewhere, see a door being closed and saying, okay, yeah, let's do something else. And yeah. I'm able to do it and do it and do it. It's it served you really well throughout your life uh, in everything that it's thrown at you so far. Plus, I think, especially when we're younger, we tend to think of what we do as being who we are. Mm -hmm. And eventually, God willing, we all live long enough to get to the point where you go, you know what? It's what I do. And it's not who I am. I, I used to really enjoy, for the most part, depending on who I was working for, um, what I used to do. But it wasn't who I am. And like you were saying, you know, um, I'm this guy and I'm this old and I've got kids and, I've and I, I feel things and I believe things. And I also happen to have the ability to do these other things, but that's not who I am. So letting go and wanting notice or accolades for what you do just feels so off to me. So that's why when people go ah, Emmys and Peabody and this and the awards, I'm like, well, yeah, no, it's, it's nice. And it's nice to have people go pat you on the back and go, yeah, good job. But you know what? Again, that's not who I am. Having a friend, say you've got a lot of heart. That really touches me. I mean, that, that, mean, that means the world to me because I like to think that's who I am. That is who you are. <clears throat> Absolutely. I'm not just saying that because I'm <clears throat> blowing smoke up to you know where. Um, it's, it's truth and I've experienced that and, you know, getting into the whole community of actors, you know, because I didn't know anything about your background until, you know, I started doing research. You don't talk about it. This is not... Uh, you know, hi, I'm Steve. I have three Emmys. It's, it's <laughs> not at all who you are. Who you are is a is a beautiful, down to earth uh, person who I met in an acting class, and I took an interest in. And then over over that time, um, we know that actors around us. There is a community of people who are like minded, and there are people who are out there for themselves and for other reasons. Yeah. Uh, you are one of the you know few uh, wonderful people that <clears throat> I call in my acting uh, you know community because we all care about each other and it's not about you know what have you done what have you done it's not there's no ego it's hey I heard this this could be of use to you or I hear you know something is going on over there it could be a nice thing you constantly send me stuff that I should audition for that I didn't know about because you read about them or you're in this Facebook group that posted it and you want me to know about it's that type of uh, uh, communal feel and that type of heart, um, to me, we're all in this together. And I don't understand why I wouldn't want to share something with people. The whole idea of the show is not so I can talk to somebody famous. The whole idea of the show is because I'm learning information that's valuable. I want to share it because all of us need to know this in order to grow as people and as, as an artist. So yeah. how, how do you come uh, to that same kind of a conclusion of, hey, we're all in this together, as opposed to being in the other group of, I'm doing my thing and I don't want anybody else around? I guess because when I go into it, uh, I've done casting. Mm 
I, I've directed, I know I'm not competing with you. And there's no reason to compete with you. There's no reason to try to not tell you about a job. I'm competing with me and I'm competing with their preconceived idea of who this character should be. And I've had to learn not to try to do what they want me to do, but just be me, do me. And if that works for them, that's great. I love getting booked. We all do. But I know going into most things, it's mm -hmm. not going to happen. But I'm going to get in front of casting people. And maybe they'll say, you know what? No, not, not for this role. But you know what? I know somebody that's got something coming up. I think he might be okay for that. Mm -hmm. um, so there's no, there's no upside to not sharing a listing. I see. Cause I, I, you've entrusted me to edit your demo reel for you. Yeah. And, and it's a really impressive reel and you've got a real range of character that you can do. And I look at that and I think, you know what? I'm not casting something at the moment, but I want to keep that in mind because he can do this and this and this. And I can learn from anybody. I mean, when, when I was behind the camera, I knew people behind the camera that would say, no, 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 nobody tells me what to shoot. That's my job. I got this. And I'd say, you know, if a five-year-old walks up to me and says, hey, there's something really cool over there. Great. Let's make it, let's make my job look better. Why wouldn't I take suggestions from somebody? You know, it's not me versus the other camera guys. It's not me versus the other director. It's not me versus you. And I'm not going to do a better job or be more successful at trying to do my job by cutting the legs out from underneath somebody else. Yeah. That's not how this works. That's not how life works, at least in my world. If I can help somebody, of course. And, you know, kindness begets kindness. I learned that uh, in the early days doing lots and lots of work for Oprah where we did the random kindness stuff. Um, and life is really way too short. And to go through it saying, no, no, I'm looking out for me. And if I tell him about this job and he gets it and I miss out, no, don't. Don't live your life like that. You know, care about the other guy, the other woman, and say, you know what? If I don't, if I don't get the part, God bless guy. I hope it goes to you or one of our mm -hmm. pool of people because there's really quality people in there who genuinely care, who can do really nice work. Yeah. And there's been high-level auditions that I've gotten where. I eventually didn't get the part, but then I'll see it on air and I'll see go, all right, let's see who got it. And I'll watch him go, oh yeah, he's really pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, you know, they made the right call. All right, I'm going to learn. And I'm going to know not how to do better, but I'm going to know how to relax in the room and how to bring me into it and how to audition better. Because I found out that I can act fairly well. I've got a lot to learn, but I can act fairly well but I'm really mediocre at best at auditioning. So I'm forever trying to learn that. I think we took an audition class together. Yep. At, yeah. And that's a fascinating part of it. And so letting go of the need to win and embracing the need to get better professionally and be better as a person is my motivation these days.
Yeah, um, there are a lot of uh, audition uh, kind of um, related questions that I ask uh, people. I ask actors, I ask uh, acting coaches, I ask casting directors. Um, the one advice uh, that sticks with me uh, is from John Levy, uh, the famous um, or famed, at least uh, in my mind, and in those in the industry, um, who cast uh, The West Wing, who cast ER, who cast uh, a few a few shows. Yeah, those are significant credits, yeah. yeah. Um, and he said, look, uh, I, I get it as a casting director that you want to impress me, but that's not your job. You're not coming here to impress me. You're coming here to show me who you are as a character. And that, just that alone, when I heard it, that took so much weight off my shoulders. There you go. And it's just, you know, we can be told, don't act, just be. And it makes sense here, but it doesn't quite get into the practical motion until I hear John saying, I don't need to be impressed, just show me who you are. Okay. You know, there, there, there's been moments where I've had acting teachers and coaches say something, teach something, and I kind of go, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And then eventually there's a moment where I kind of go, oh my God, that's what they meant. Yep. And all of a sudden you feel like, how did I not get this? A little <laughs> light bulb just went on. I mean, Robin Coffin has taught me so much at Vagabond, and but she's probably had to repeat things three or four times before the little light bulb finally warmed up enough to go on. But when it does, it's like, oh my God. And simple things like, yeah. you know, don't try to be, you know, one of the lessons was, you know, don't try to become this guy. Just be him. Mm -hmm. You know, you've gone to doctors before. You've had conversations with doctors. Yeah. Be the doctor now. Have a conversation with the patient. You and I are sitting here having a conversation. All right, when you're auditioning and you're doing a part with two guys sitting having dinner. Yeah. You've had conversations before, just do that. Stop trying to be that guy. And in the beginning I was like, yeah, 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 yeah I, I got it, but let's see, how would he do this? And then finally I went, oh, that's what she meant. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes so much more sense. Robin is great. Uh, she'll be on the show on the 25th of, uh, of June. Wonderful. So I can't wait to talk to her. She's, one of the things that she taught me that was one of those like, oh yeah, it's when you're doing commercials and when you're speaking straight to camera and you're this spokesperson's spot. And for me, for whatever reason, the, the default thing is I need to be theatrical and I need to be kooky and I need to be interesting and I'm this spokesperson. <laughs> and uh, you know, she kind of looked at that and said, who are you talking to? You know, when, when you're delivering this, who are you talking to? And I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I wasn't talking to anybody. I was just having fun and being theatrical. So yeah. it's it's that like, yeah, I get it now. So next time I do it, I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to my dad and I'm telling him about this. Or I'm talking to my neighbor and I'm telling him, hey, did you hear about this? And I'm not selling anymore because I'm just sharing. And that's, the, so that's, that's Robin for you. Oh, you know, we, there was one that she taught me where I was laughing afterward. We were doing an audition prep class. Yeah. <clears throat> in study pro and I went in to do the spot and she's like are you ready and I looked down and I, I gathered myself and I took a deep breath I got my first line in my head and I looked up and I said my first line and my mind just went completely blank yeah. just nothing and anybody that's ever had that experience three seconds feels like it's about three and a half hours yep. you know, 
I said, you know, I'm sorry, let me go again. And I looked at you. So before you do that, let me ask you a question. She said, you know, she goes, why did you look down? I said, well, I was kind of composing myself. I was taking a deep breath, just kind of getting centered, call it whatever you will, and getting my first line in my head. She goes, that's all great stuff, but why don't you do it while you're looking at me, looking wherever you're supposed to look? I said, what? She goes, because when you look up, all of a sudden it's like you're entering the room. Why not be in the room when you start? That way, when you compose yourself and get your first line and take your deep breath, you're in this room. And I went, yeah, I'm sure, let's give that a try. She's like, are you ready? And I stayed looking up, even though it was fighting my natural instinct. I took a deep breath and I got my first line in my head and it was flawless. And she said, how is that? I said, where the hell were you last week when I choked on this big audition down at Claire Simons? Where I did the same thing. I looked down, I came up, and my mind went blank. And she goes, well, hopefully next time. And it's like the simplest things that, you know, it made perfect sense to me to kind of go, <sighs> but she was right. It's like you're walking into the room, and all of a sudden you're being stunned. Like, oh, there's lights and cameras. Uh, what am I doing? Be present. Be in the room. And by the way, where she is, uh, Robin uh, teaches at Vagabond, uh, Vagabond School of the Arts, which is a wonderful place in Chicago. I think it's from there too. Uh, we will link both Robin's and Vagabond's info below. Okay. Uh, and if I could, one more quick shout out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Robin, speaking of Vagabond, Sarah Savini at ATC, anyone that has a significant audition, I can't suggest strongly enough to get some private coaching. Uh, because again, I know how to direct. I've done it at the highest levels. I can't direct myself. What I envision, how to do this scene. Yeah. When, when I get professional coaching, it's not a huge change, but it's enough of a diversion where I go, wow, that is so much better than what I came in here thinking I was going to do. So please, folks, no matter how good you are, no matter what level you're at, it's not, it's not free, but it's not super expensive either. The advantages of getting professional coaching is huge. Yeah. And uh, on that, uh, just, you know, uh, information for people, you can get professional uh, uh, coaching for your auditions or otherwise. You can get them locally by going somewhere like we're in Chicago. We have beautiful places to go to, or you can get them online. Um, or you can work with people who you didn't even think that you'd have a chance to work with. Like uh, my First guest, you know, a person who I, I really, truly admire and enjoy working with, uh, Michael Kostrov. He's, you know, to me, he's a really well-known and established actor. He does coaching. He does coaching, and he doesn't gouge people either because he believes that this is all about giving back to the community. So, you know, he wrote a book on auditions. If you want to take coaching for him, contact him. You know, contact Robin, contact Vagabond, contact... Uh, Warner Laughlin, uh, who's an incredible acting teacher to Amy Adams, she does coaching. So you have a wealth of opportunities if you need assistance. Uh, Sarah, sorry, Sarah Savini, I didn't mean to forget you as well. So um, everybody, and, and take advantage of it and figure out what works for you and who works best for you. Uh, and uh, you'll find it. It's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's so important. Yeah. It really yeah. is to have another set of eyes that you trust. Yes. You know, if, if we ask our friends, they're all going to say, that's lovely, that's great. 
And the professional will go, no, that, that was good. But have you thought about this? Or why are you thinking about this? Why are you doing this? There's so many little nuances. And I guess one of the things that when people ask me about acting, one of the things that always jumps out at me is after having spent my whole life in some form of this business, is that it's a really unusual business in that you don't have to be good to be successful. And being good doesn't mean you'll be successful. And I mean, I've worked with A-list movie stars, world famous, that I don't think are particularly good actors. Worked with the most famous singers in the world that I kind of go, really? Okay. Um, And I've seen amazing actors that are scratching and clawing trying to make a living because they just haven't found that one role. That one role hasn't found them. And I guess I, I would advise anybody in our stage or earlier to, when you leave an audition, if you're fortunate, number one, if you get an audition, realize you've already made it through the first hurdle. You know, the, they'll get a thousand submissions for an audition. They might pick, let's be generous, say a hundred who are going to come in. It's probably not that many. That means you've already made it where they want to see you. But when you leave, the very first thing I do that took me a while to do, because I would come home and stare at the phone and go, mm, it's been an hour and a half. They haven't called yet. Oh, boy. What should I have done different? Uh, now, they, one of the suggestions I got, and I do it every time, now is as soon as I leave an audition, the very first thing I do is throw the sides away. It's now behind me. It's in the rearview mirror. I did what I could do. If it happens, it does. I'm assuming it won't because there's 99 other guys who kind of look like me uh, coming in for that part. Let me get ready for the next thing. And if you're lucky enough to get a callback or a booking, so much the better. Our job is not to act, it's to audition. And do your job. What do you say to those people um, who you know, look at you uh, and say, well, you kind of started acting, um, you know, late in life, if you will. Uh, You know, I'm worried about starting because I'm no longer in my 20s and I don't know if it's going to be the right path for me. What do you say to them? Um, I guess I say, number one, I should have started sooner. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, just a couple of years while I was out looking for a straight job. I just kind of thought, I thought the same thing, you know, I'm too old and, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't had training since college and blah, blah, I made all kinds of excuses. I'll just get a regular job kind of thing. So I wish I had started a couple of years earlier. But the reality is watch film, watch TV. They, they need everybody. Not everybody is 21 and gorgeous. A lot of the leading people are going to be certain looks, certain types. But it takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of different colors to make a box of crayons. You know, it takes a lot of types to make TV and film. Uh, if you're a little older, if you're a little heavier, you're, you're short, you're tall, whatever it is, they're going to need you. But it's not going to be for every job. There's going to be jobs where I'm going to go in and they're going to go, you know what, I think he's really good, but he's too bald. And there's going to be shows that I'm going to go in for where they're going to go, He's not really right, but, you know, I think if we shaved the rest of his head, we'd have a look there we can work with. You don't know. So don't make yourself crazy trying to guess. You know, don't try to figure out, should I 
dye my hair? Should I, you know, gain weight, lose weight, change my clothes? Like you said, be you, be the best version of you being that person and have fun doing it, you know? Um, I always told my kids when they were growing up and still to this day, that in life, you don't always get choices. But when you do, choose happy. And if you can afford both financially and emotionally to go into a business that's probably not going to pay you much and is going to be filled with constant rejection, if you can afford that and it makes you happy, why not? And when I was working as a freelancer, there were guys who were very good DPs that could not handle being freelance because they needed to know where their next day work was, when their next check was coming in. Freelance was not for them. Acting, even if you're good at it, it might not be for you. You might not be able to financially afford the beginning part and you may or may not ever catch on. Um, you may not be able to deal with them going, yeah, next, and not take it personally. But if you can and you enjoy it, it, your age doesn't matter, your height doesn't matter, your, as far as I'm concerned, your weight, your hair color, none of it is gonna matter because they're looking for something and they might have an idea, but you might walk in and go, you know what? We were thinking this, but now that we see Alan, I could, yeah, let's rewrite it a little bit now that we see what he brings to it. So be you, enjoy being you, and let them enjoy you enjoying being you. Well, um, my friend, you are all heart. You've led a fascinating <laughs> uh, life. Uh, you had multiple lives in this one life. Um, also, there is a part of me that thinks that there is a... Uh, a plus and a good reason for you not starting to act until later in life when you understood that your work does not define who you are but the other way around because with your sense of fairness in the acting business there is no fair you go in and there's nothing fair about it it happens on its own so um thank you uh i i from the dp perspective i apologize for having this in our own version of a two shot uh, all throughout um, but I really appreciate it. I love you. Oh, trust me, I want to change your lighting. I want to start helping you edit this yeah. together, drop some clips in. It'll be so much fun. You'll love it. We'll talk, we'll talk after <laughs> we, we stop recording. Uh, say hi to Verna and thank you, thank you, thank you again for coming. Of course, it's been a genuine pleasure. I, uh, I enjoyed it and I look forward to the future episodes with others. Thank you. And uh, thank you everybody for tuning in and staying with us and uh, listening to a fascinating life that Steve has uh, led so far, and we look forward to seeing what's up in the future. Thanks for tuning in. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends, share, and do your thing, as always, on The Love of Acting. Thank you.